0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. When author Bruce Feiler was 43, he learned that he had the same rare life-threatening cancer to which Teddy Kennedy's son, Teddy, lost his leg when he was 12. Bruce Feiler's twin daughters had just turned three. He despaired. I kept imagining all the walks I might not take with them, he said. The ballet recitals I might not see. The boyfriends I might not scowl at. The aisles I might not walk down. A few days later, Bruce Feiler began to make a list. Men who know my voice, he said. Who embodied the memories and qualities he wanted his girls to know of him, but that they might not have the chance to experience with him. He invited six close friends to draw close and help raise his daughters. He called them the Council of Dads. The guidelines by which he chose his council were no family members, men only, intimacy over longevity, and only one friend from each phase and for every side of his life. Bruce Feiler's wife, Linda, said, I want men I can call who will answer the question What would daddy think of this? Bruce wrote letters to them asking, will you help be their dad? Will you listen in on them? Will you answer their questions? Will you take them out to lunch every now and then? Will you go to a soccer game if you're in town? Will you watch their ballet moves for the umpteenth time? When they get older, will you indulge them in a new pair of shoes? or buy them a cell phone, or some other gadget I can't even imagine right now? Will you give them advice? Will you be as tough as I would be? Will you help them out in a crisis? And as time passes, will you invite them to a family gathering on occasion? Will you introduce them to somebody who might help one of their dreams come true? Will you tell them what I would be thinking? Will you tell them how proud I would be? Will you be my voice? Each of them responded with their own version of, I'm in. First up was Jeff Shumlin, who, as soon as he learned that his friend was sick, began sending Bruce a postcard every day. The Filer family traveled to Putney, Vermont to visit Jeff on his farm. He took the girls for a ride on the John Deere and led them on a chase after runaway pigs. I'm not a man of words, he says. I'm a dad by example. He loves to travel and travels well. That was to be his portfolio on the council. Max Steyer, Bruce's friend since their first year in college, had lost his father when he was three. He knew what to do with the pain. It's not something you get over, he explains. It's already part of you. So you have to come at it directly and keep coming back. But I would tell them stories, he says, of Bruce's twins. When you lose someone, the loss becomes the dominant memory. So you have to build a rival memory. Your dad took you there and did that with you. By doing that, you help the girls find their own voice. They take the negative pain and create a positive side to it. Someone asked me, writes Bruce, if David Black, my literary agent turned friend, cried when I invited him to join my council of dads. David cries when you invite him for a walk. Self-reliant to the point of bullheaded, a dreamer, fully possessed of the idea that he can do whatever he sets out to do, David was chosen for the council as the one who would believe in the twins' ability to succeed. Because when you believe in them, he says, you give them the strength to believe in themselves. Don't see the wall, he continues. Tear it down, walk through it. Find a way to get over it or around it or under it. You acknowledge it but move beyond it. Whatever you do, don't succumb to it. Don't give in to the wall. And what happens, Bruce wonders, if his girl's dreams fail to materialize? Then, answers David, let's find a dream that can work because anybody can dream an impossible dream but only a few find a dream that's possible, and those are the ones that are happy. Ben Edwards, Bruce's childhood friend, was recruited for the council to impart to the twins the value of the American South in which they had been raised, loyalty, honesty, friendship. Also Bruce is Jewish, Ben is Christian, and fluency with diversity is deeply important to both. Ben Sherwood initially said no to the council. Bruce read him the letter of invitation in person and with tears streaming down his face, Ben said, I completely reject the premise and I hereby tender my resignation. He came around, of course, and landed squarely in the midst of what he sees as fulfilling traditional dad functions, boundary drawing and expectation setting, prodding and enforcing, listening and embracing. Ben says, there's an African proverb that a person who asks a question is never lost. If you ask questions, you'll be able to find your way. Confidence comes from questions. Ben's role on the council is to teach the girls to live the questions. Joshua Ramo was the sixth of the six, a confirmed bachelor with an economist's mind and a poet's soul. Josh is the man most attuned to Bruce's suffering and also to his joy. If the girls wanted to know how deeply you feel things and how vividly you view the world, says Linda Filer, I would send them to him. Joshua is the one who would teach them how to appreciate the perfect panorama or the exquisite view, who would explain that even when they hurt, they should still find time for wonder. After a year lost to a pitched battle with cancer, by what Bruce Feiler experienced as no less than miraculous healing, he is gratefully cancer-free. Jeff, Max, David, Ben, Ben, and Joshua did not have to convene without him. But all along, the filers knew that whether or not Bruce died, the council was going to live. That each of Bruce's friends who had been invited to form an inner circle of dads would be another way through which his daughters would know their father and themselves and the world. I want to say two things about the council of dads. First, I wish I'd thought of it. And second, it's not too late. I wish I'd thought of it. Not specifically a council of dads or moms or parents, but a council of beloved and trusted adults whom we would have invited to formally say yes to having Kem's and my three daughters' best interests at heart. To remind them what we most want for them and to enhance their unique and magical qualities under the influence of the council. I'm told that in the olden days, this is something like how it was, a village of people on the lookout for each other's children, protecting and guiding them. Most of us don't live with that so readily available and assumed now. We need to create it. And we can. It's too late for my kid's childhood, but it's not too late for their adulthood, and perhaps as importantly, it's not too late for any of us. Making your own rules for membership, whom would you invite to be in your council? What are the things you would most like to receive from them? What would you bring to such a gathering? Are you willing? to formalize it. I'm enchanted by the idea. The closest thing to it that I've experienced was participation in a Quaker clearness committee. Educator and author Parker Palmer writes, if the name sounds like it's from the 60s, it is the 1660s. (laughs) Behind the clearness committee lies the conviction that each of us has an inner voice of truth that offers the guidance and power we need. But that inner voice is often garbled by various kinds of inward and outward interference. The function of the clearness committee is not to give advice or fix people from the outside in, but rather to help remove that interference so that we can discover our own wisdom from the inside out. My friend was trying to solve a problem but found himself in his own way, and so he called for a clearness committee. At the appointed hour, we gathered around, and he began by stating his problem clearly and succinctly while everyone listened with rapt attention. The only speaking from us, and this is the discipline, the devotion, the only speaking from us was in the form of questions, real questions to help him focus and remove the obstacles obscuring his truth. Even when he didn't believe he knew his way to answers, we held that faith for him. As a rule, the process runs for two hours, and even if the person who convened the Clearness Committee finds the truth arising in themselves in the first 15 minutes, you stay together for the rest of the appointed time. For me, it was very intimate to listen in that way in a group and to share silence. My friend felt utterly uplifted and upheld by the sheer love in the room. It remains one of the most powerful experiences of our long friendship. Whom would you like to invite to be your clearness committee? Maybe it's different people for different kinds of challenges. Maybe there's a core group that is always there, your counsel. I'd love to hear if you decide to deepen your spiritual life along this path of friendship and of claiming and transmitting your most cherished values. Beloved spiritual companions, let's not wait for tragedy to compel us to turn to one another for courage and strength, memory and hope. Let us help one another believe there's a way over the wall. Let us make a devotional practice of asking questions of one another and so inspire one another to find our way together. Let us find a dream that's possible. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, Please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.